0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 100 (laughs) of the Naturally Nourished podcast. I knew today had to be epic and I thought the best way to do the 100th episode is to focus on the most frequent questions I get asked. So today we're going to be talking all about the common keto pitfalls. About one year ago today, in episode 47, I talked about pitfalls. Um, And so I had to switch the phrasing or something about it. And, And today is going to be five ways to solve your keto slump and incorporate a lot of our frequently asked questions, barriers, and concerns with all things keto. Yes.
2: We are so excited to be here at episode 100. It feels like a really big milestone with our yeah. just growing stronger every single day and getting more and more folks hooked on our podcast and getting feedback and new clients and new supplement purchases through the podcast and you know folks who aren't even clients um, buying into our program and, and our supplement line. So it's amazing. Please keep sharing us with yeah your friends and your family and people who can reach you and we love doing it. so we just want to keep on keeping on.
1: yeah. I know when I first started the podcast and uh, my friend Jimmy Moore was amazing in helping me do it. He uh, jumped on YouTube really quickly with me. Was it YouTube? no um excuse me, real quick with me and was like, okay, Allie, this is a microphone. (laughs) These are headphones. This is a program you might consider. Uh, And just thinking like, wow, I'm going to record myself talking uh, for 45 minutes to an hour. And is anyone going to care what I have to say? So thank you for caring and listening and learning. And like Becky said, sharing the message, we have seen incredible change and in my practice, shifting it from what was really a brick and mortar Houston-based clinic to now a nationally available virtual clinic, I have been able to impact the lives beyond the 2000 that I had with Houston area into much of a wider scale. And I love hearing the success stories that I see now many success stories every single day from people's lives that I may not have intimately touched, but people that are making changes and strategizing shifts within their supplement game, their diet approach, maybe um, in their work with their own practitioners using the information that we're providing through the podcast. So I'm so happy that this is an outlet and a tool for you guys and you're using the resource. And you're getting all of the gains. So if you
2: haven't left us a review yet, please stop right now since it's our 100th episode. I just have to ask, guys, um, (laughs) especially if you've been listening since the beginning, hop on over to iTunes and just leave us a quick couple of sentences along with a five-star review on why you love the podcast and what you've gotten
1: out of it so far. Absolutely, it's always appreciated, and the best way for us to enhance our algorithms and you know get suggested to people naturally. So we so appreciate the reviews on iTunes, and um, definitely love the contributions and contributing on sharing our Allie Miller RD website and, um, you know, tagging me in the recipes you're making and really keeping this an active community and conversation. So before we get into today's topic, which is all about roadblocks or struggles within your fat-fueled journey, I want to give you guys a little bit of an update and a little bit of a last call for this fourth run of our... (laughs) Yes, our 12-week virtual Food is Medicine program. Uh, It is a three-month program with six live classes that I come at you full steam ahead for just over an hour per class. And we go through functional approaches of really problem-solving some of the underlying mechanisms that are going on in your body's metabolism or your body's expression of undesired symptoms. And we provide you with supplement lab and food as medicine solutions. So it will be and I will say one of the best bangs for your buck if you're putting your toe on the fence of working with a functional practitioner and you haven't found one in your area yet. Joining this program may be the first leap into things of really taking your food as medicine journey to the next level and really healing your body from the root cause
2: and so much more economically (laughs) sustainable, right? A good first entry point if you're not ready or not financially able to start working with a practitioner. You really, you know, it's a lot of bang for your buck and you get Allie in a classroom setting and myself as a moderator. And so you do get to ask those questions that um, whether they're, you know, speaking to your personal story or just keto in general, but we really do go down the rabbit hole of, so many different conditions and, um, so many different, I'd say entry points into, um, what's going on, you know, beyond just macros and and weight loss. We talk about that too, we promise, but we really get into applying food as medicine and functional medicine. And then from there, you can kind of learn what labs, supplements, et cetera,
1: can take you to that next level. Absolutely. So you can sign up, um, at AllieMillerRD.com backslash ketosis hyphen class and grab your spot today. We're going to be ripping and um, getting rocking on all things. But like we said, this is your best way of really full support, all hands on deck to feel the best you can in your body entering into this holiday season, because we're going to start you early September. We start September 4th, which is tomorrow. (laughs) Um, And um, we go all the way into November. Um, Before we jump into today's uh, topic, I want to read a couple podcast reviews because this is our 100th episode, and then we'll, we'll jump into the content, and we'll end today with some success stories from keto program participants. But um, I want to share first a couple reviews on um, iTunes. We always appreciate you guys taking the time from your busy lives to give us a five-star review on iTunes and a couple sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Like we said, it's the best way to give us to continue the growth. So it says give to grow relationship and really pushes food as medicine um, out into the community on a larger scale. So... This review um, is favorite podcast Aww. ever. <laughs> I found Allie's podcast a few months ago and have been obsessed ever since. Ali presents such applicable and practical content about health, wellness, nutrition, anxiety, and many other topics. I'm still catching up on many episodes and plan on re-listening to many as they're so rich in content. As a woman, a nurse in oncology, very focused on my health and nutrition, and hoping to get pregnant soon, this podcast seems tailor-made for me, which that's a lot of variables (laughs) (laughs) to be (laughs) tailor-made. I'm so grateful to all the knowledge Allie, Becky, and their guests share. Thank you. awesome. I love that. Yeah, and I'm going to give one more. Um, This one is called Life – let's see. Here we go. Uh, Life-Changing Information – Hi, Allie and Becky. Thanks so much for all you do. I was, I was wondering if you got a chance to cover women's sex hormones on a whole. Optimal ranges, how to be better um, balanced for certain ones, high sexual hormone binding globulin, for example, hair loss in the form residing of the hairline part. Anything like that would be greatly appreciated. And I know all of your recommendations make true clinical change. I've seen from the couple naturally nourished supplements I've already applied. Thank you for all that you do. So I guess we'll have to answer that (laughs) in today's roadblocks. I think we talk a little bit about hair loss. Um, So we'll make sure we address that further, and I will uh, be sure to provide some solutions.
2: Awesome. And then we do have an
1: episode um, coming out
2: shortly on birth control. I know it's in the, in the works, in the plan. So I think that'll be a good one to listen to with the questions. Yes. About sex there work. is Finding women's, lobulation. yeah.
1: Yeah. There is women's hormones yeah. episode. Um, and then a bunch on PCOS, which are helpful as well in the forties somewhere in there. Um, so those would be great starting resources, but we'll talk a little bit about that today.
2: Okay. Awesome. So today is just all about those big roadblocks that so many clients have seen that can hinder metabolic outcomes or their healing process in keto so we'll be talking digestion we'll be talking bowel irregularity bloating and digestive sensitivity leaky gut and food sensitivity Uh, we'll be talking about stubborn body fat shifts and short cycles or hormonal imbalance so much to cover Um, and then also about kind of that the macro, you know, getting stuck on the macro obsession. Um, we're just full of aha moments today. So get ready for some big tips to help you reset, whether you're just starting in keto and want to avoid some of these things, or if you've been doing it for six months to a year and not seeing the results you're looking to see.
1: Yeah. So let's open with digestion because I think that this is one of the biggest areas as a focused concern for clients on both ends of the spectrum, right? So I think it's always important. And what I always try to do is empower you guys with how something functions optimally so that we can then understand what part is dysfunctional so we know what we're looking to address. So if we're talking about the digestive tract, uh, and we've done so in many episodes, but you know the first thing is our breakdown processes, which requires digestive enzymes. So enzymes are chemical compounds that are released in our saliva. As well as from our pancreas, as well as in the lining of our small intestine. And these are secreted ideally in a parasympathetic mode or a rest and digest mode. And when we're under high stress, we tend to only get about a quarter of the amount of enzymes produced that we would get in an otherwise relaxed environment. So, stress first and foremost, can greatly hinder our digestive process. And again, the digestive enzymes job is to break things down so we can absorb more of the nutrients in our food and also to prepare to create bowel matter for bowel regularity. So talking further about constipation first, the action of our colon is to play a role with water absorption, electrolyte stability. Um, our large intestine or our colon also is where we manufacture a lot of nutrients, which are synthesized in the presence of good gut bacteria. So we're looking at manufacturing of B12 and biotin and vitamin K, as well as something called short-chain fatty acids. So a couple things that we're going to want to assess if we're dealing with chronic constipation is gonna be, uh, first, the neurological drivers. So on a neurological level, again, if we're in a high stress mode, we're not gonna be getting that parasympathetic balance, we're gonna be in more of a fight or flight state, which means that our involuntary peristalsis or pumping, which moves bowel matter down the intestine, the large intestine to be formed into stool and then evacuated out of our body, um, is hindered greatly. So the first line of defense I would start with is my Relax and Regulate powder, reason being that this is going to have magnesium bisglycinate, which is the most bioavailable form of magnesium. We know that magnesium levels are often depleted with a ketogenic lifestyle, and uh, magnesium has over 300 different functions in the body. So even if you aren't dealing with constipation, Relax and Regulate is a best friend of anyone doing the keto diet because it also plays a role with our neuromuscular function, our blood pressure regularity, our cardiovascular function, the way our body metabolizes cortisol and so many other things. So getting that magnesium bisglycinate is super important and our relax and regulate pairs that mag glycinate with inositol Inositol is a cousin to the B vitamin family, and it plays a big role with intercellular signaling. It reduces anxiety, so helps us to swing back into that parasympathetic rest and digest mode, which then means that we'll also get more optimized digestive uh, enzyme production as well as that involuntary pumping. So starting with relax and regulate at one to two scoops in the evening is a great tool to help you with deep qualitative sleep and that involuntary passive digestive function of both moving the bowel matter and relaxing the body so that we can get optimized digestive enzyme production. Awesome. And then what
2: about the role of B vitamins also speaking to the neurological piece of the puzzle with?
1: Yeah. So totally. So often when we're looking at like a micronutrient test other symptoms of B12, for instance, which might come as a surprise because we might be like, well, I'm eating all this animal product. Isn't that where B12 is? Well, like I mentioned, if it's predominantly manufactured in the colon, if you have imbalanced gut bacteria, which is going to be further insult to injury if you're constipated, right? You're not getting action going on there. Um, you're definitely going to be prone towards B12 depletion. And other symptoms we can deal with are things like neuropathy, like pins and needles or um, the uh, tingling sensation in the hands or the toes. And uh, B12 plays such a role with mood stability and energy as well. So I often, next line of defense would be to go to my B12 boost, which is a lozenge that you can take in the middle of the day. I keep one on my desk. And when I get to my second to last patient, that's something I take every single day And then a B-complex with methylated Bs. So you'd want to look for a B-complex that has bioavailable forms. We have one just called B-complex in the Naturally Nourished line. It has nature-made folate, which is going to be a blend of the methylated folate um, and bioavailable forms uh, with sulfur. And it also is going to have good quality amounts of things like biotin. And so if you had more other B vitamin deficiency trends, also dealing with fatigue and definitely any hair thinning, B complex would also be something you'd consider for that reason. And back to that hair thinning uh, client as well, often we see around the hair frame that paired with insulin resistance. So the Relax and Regulate and B-Complex will be my first line of defense for that individual. Um, And uh, that's going to help to support the metabolism of excess testosterone and or insulin resistance with that myo-inositol in the Relax and Regulate. And then the B-Complex is going to give that high-dose biotin as well as folate and other B vitamins that play a big role with hair, skin, and nail health. Awesome. I think that's
2: super helpful in terms of supplement recommendations. And then let's dig deeper into... um, what it would look like, let's say that uh, constipation got worse with keto, let's also talk about and address, um, just backing up to the microbiome piece of the puzzle and, and the B12 manufacturing that you were talking about, let's also address Um, whether there might be over fermentation or bad bacterial overgrowth as the root.
1: Yeah. So asking yourself, did the digestive function get worse with keto? Um, And if that's the case, you may want to consider the fact that you may not be optimizing your fiber intake with your new diet approach. Maybe you really dumbed down your keto and you're doing like, you know, Turkey with a piece of cheese rolled up with some aioli and dip in it and you're doing your eggs and bacon at breakfast and you're doing, um, you know, fill in the blank protein for dinner steak uh, and you're keeping it very low fiber. So you might want to first try to up your fiber game, playing with things like a uh, chia pudding would be something fun that you can do to get high amounts of fiber. You also, I always encourage about two to three cups of leafy greens per day for clients uh, to really get a good amount of both magnesium and potassium, but also getting some fiber and something for the uh, bowel formation. And um, considering on top of that, some non-starchy vegetables that have prebiotics. So we're talking about things like asparagus and onions and garlic. And um, then as you get fat adapted, even considering getting fiber from more of your like nut flours and baking and things like that. Now, if you strategically add fiber and you get more bloated, more constipated, or more intolerance, then I would suggest going forward with my probiotic challenge. And my probiotic challenge will help you to determine a state of dysbiosis. So you would be taking uh, 15 billion of my Restore uh, baseline probiotic Uh, there's 15 billion CFUs of a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido strains per capsule. And um, I feel like we talk about this in so many episodes. And really, you guys, stool tests are 400 plus dollars. And this is really, I think it's 36 something to get the baseline probiotic. I'm going to get you really awesome outcomes and information. And regardless of if you have a pass or a fail of the probiotic challenge, you then have direction of where to go with that data and can really get whole body outcomes. If you fail, as you increase the intake of your probiotics, you get more distension and bloating, more belching, more constipation. Then we need to set you up for my six week beat the bloat cleanse. And you'll do that candida bundle and rock and roll. And we've been seeing amazing testimonials from people that are not active patients but people that are listening to the podcast and doing that cleanse and seeing like life-changing outcomes. It's been phenomenal.
2: So awesome. And I'll link to the probiotic challenge and the instructions of how to do that in our show notes. If you haven't seen that on the blog already. And
1: yeah. And, and so we'll put the instructions on how to do that. And, um, the, the Candida cleanse bundle is exactly what I took, and I referenced this in the infertility episode. Uh, personally, that's what I did for my six week cleanse when I was reworking my endometriosis. And um, there's just so many awesome outcomes that can be done with that. So if you wanted to jump right into the beat bloat cleanse, you could do that as well. Um, but you may wanna assess your probiotic status with the probiotic challenge. And if you get improved outcomes with the challenge, then you would probably just want to upgrade to the targeted strength probiotic, which is 60 billion per capsule, and then add in phytofiber, which is going to be a whole food plant based fiber supplement versus something like um, Benefiber or um, what are the other cellulose supplements? Uh, Miralax, which has a lot, of, which technically hasn't even been FDA approved for consumption on a daily basis. So, you know, pulling out any of those laxatives that are very processed and can have further electrolyte instability, adding the phytofiber with a good quality probiotic and some of these neurological enhancers are probably going to be the better step for whole body health and repletion versus further depletion.
2: Okay. Now what about if we're on the other end of the spectrum? So constipation is no fun, but neither is having uh, chronic loose stools or diarrhea. Yes. Um, and that can definitely happen with a higher fat diet, especially if we're going from, you know, eating a low fat or zero fat diet. Um, why can digestive distress occur? Um, and how does that interfere with your keto outcomes?
1: So often, and this is a common question we get is, can you keto without a gallbladder, right? Because people are told after their gallbladder has been removed that they need to stay on a low-fat diet um, because, you know, the gallbladder as a storage tank for bile plays a big role in the process of emulsification or the absorption of fats, And um, if we lack bile flow, uh, the liver has to make it more on demand if we don't have that storage tank of the gallbladder. And if we lack bile flow, often fats do not have the time or enough bile to emulsify. And so they can kind of run through the body so we can get malabsorption. So um, absolutely, the answer is yes, you can do keto without a gallbladder and someone with gallstones would actually see very favorable gallbladder um, preservation with a ketogenic diet if paired with digestive enzyme support. So my number one line of defense, which I even spoke to in the constipation example, is, you know, is the body making enough enzymes? And our digest aid from the naturally nourished line has ox bile in it. So you're actually going to get bile along with some of those bitters and the enzyme called lipase, which helps us to absorb lipids. So this is really essential for every time food or fat is consumed for someone with uh, who has had a cholecystectomy or gallbladder removal, and it would be a tool for someone as they transition into a keto diet, if they were eating more of a standard American lower fat diet, and then can be pulsed as needed. I currently take the digestate enzyme one meal a day, typically my highest uh, kind of hitting meal as far as calories and macros. And then anytime I dine out, because the digestate also protects against like gluten and dairy and cross-contamination. So the enzyme would be the first line of defense. Then I would go to that same phytofiber actually for that individual. You could also try a probiotic challenge because you could have the loose stool from dysbiosis or yeast, but um, often the phytofiber is going to help with binding. So give something for that reabsorption and slow down that, that fecal transit time, that rapidity. And then as far as how that can impact our keto, well, we won't be able to burn fat as fuel as rapidly if we're not able to use fat as fuel. And that can keep our blood sugar off. That can throw us off with our um, electrolytes even further and can create things like palpitations or hunger. So making sure we're absorbing those fats in the diet is really essential. And dietary strategy would be getting in bitters. So things like dandelion green, leafy greens in general, and getting things like radicchio cups that you're dipping or endive leaves that you could be doing with olive tapenade, Um, leafy uh, bitter greens, uh, considering apple cider vinegar as a liver flush that you could do a tablespoon of with an ounce of water as a shooter, um, and incorporating things like lemon juice, acids and bitters are going to stimulate that bile flow.
2: And what about um like something like urban moonshine bitters or something like that to add to sparkling water maybe? Sure, I think that'd be a great thing as well. Link to them because that's a that's a nice little um, trick, you know, if you're used to having like a cocktail in the evening and you're doing keto and trying to yeah. fast. It's a nice little trick in the evening or post meal. Um, Yes, absolutely. Okay, so that's super helpful. And then another component of gut distress beyond just the bowels, what about leaky gut and just kind of generalized cramping or uneasiness when we go to a higher fat model?
1: Okay, so if you did a probiotic challenge and a, um, you know, biome reset, let's say you did the six-week cleanse and you got some outcomes – but you're still dealing with tenderness in the belly. The difference that I generally think of is when the belly feels inflamed, and I mean like people know, it's kind of like swollen, tenderness to touch, the bloating doesn't become extreme distension, but it just feels kind of chronically bloated. Um, And for an individual that has experienced adrenal fatigue or has known adrenal fatigue, Then we're probably more in the world of leaky gut. um, And this tends to be bloating that's more water mediated based on inflammation in the body. And a lot of this has to, again, be compounded with an adrenal fatigue case because when the adrenals are depleted, this often reduces our base cortisol levels. And cortisol itself is very anti inflammatory. So we start to have more susceptibility to inflammation. For an individual that's under high stress, they tend to get depletion of glutamine, and glutamine is one of the amino acids that really helps to build our gut lining, so we start to get actual gut damage there. And we see this mediated by markers like LPS and secretory IgA. Um, We'll see secretory IgA just totally plummet in times of chronic stress or anxiety, and that drives leaky gut and more food susceptibility to gut damages that are structural or immunological inflammatory uh, mediated impact. And so the, the difference that we kind of think about is we can reduce the antigens or the basically compounds of the food particles as a concept, or we can be very strategic with it. So conceptually, things we might consider would be like an AIP keto. Um, And that would be autoimmune protocol, where we're removing different foods based on lectins, phytates, uh, solanine, and other anti-nutrients that have been shown to have some gut-damaging properties. And this is also where you may at that time consider just going into more of a keto-carnivore approach because the keto carnivore diet would be a dumbed down easy way to know that you're AIP. <laughs> um, so if you're getting you know, distressed over things like, oh my gosh, now I can't have black pepper and there's this X, Y, and Z seasoning, you could just do a keto carnivore approach. And that may be in itself one way to reduce a lot of those antigens. Um, and that would be again, like a structural approach um, and goes into this like a, uh, what is his name again? Becky Boogers. We just talked about it. The plant paradox. Yeah. Dr. Gundry. Thank you. That that addresses more of like Dr. Gundry's plant paradox concept of of just going into that keto carnivore, which he doesn't directly talk about, but um, it would pull out any of the anti-nutrients from the plants um, and allow your gut time to heal. Whereas the MRT diet approach would be to test your blood. And look at 170 foods and chemicals and determine what drives inflammation in your body. And so you may, for cost affordability, start with that keto carnivore thing, see if it works. And then if you're not getting outcomes, you might still be reactive to something like pork that would immunologically cause inflammation, maybe not structurally, but your immune system may have determined pork or beef or fish or one of your keto-carnivore-friendly foods to be inflammatory based on your individualized immunological inflammatory approach. I never thought we'd be talking about
2: keto-carnivore as, you know, former vegans, but it seems like it's gaining ground for sure. And that there is, you know, if we are dealing with a significant amount of digestive distress and dysbiosis, it can definitely work. Um, So let's talk about kind of what the abundance and restriction goals would be in a keto carnivore model.
1: Yeah. So, and there's ways to do anything amazing and decent and terrible, right? (laughs) So um, you guys know how I feel about the benefit of plant-based antioxidants. And the idea though is for someone that has gut distress, chronic bloating, and severe leaky gut We'd want to remove anything that can further cause abrasion or gut damage. We really want, if you think of truly like an open wound inside out, you know, you don't want to throw fiberglass into that. You don't want to throw things that are going to create um, abrasion. And so this idea of having fattier cuts of meats, and I would definitely encourage wild fish as well and wild shellfish um, daily intake of bone broth, like two quarts a day consumption of organs. So I really have been into this new for my farmer's market, um, blend where they're blending ground beef 50, 50 with kidney heart and liver from grass fed beef. So I will blend that then with another pound because organs still are quite gamey for me. palate wise, that metallic taste that I can't really get over. So I'll then blend that. So it's at a quarter ratio with another pound of grass-fed ground beef. And that's a great way for me to get it into my household. And Stella eats the meatballs and such and works really beautifully. So if we're doing a snout to tail philosophy, we're incorporating wild fish and we're in consuming copious amounts of bone broth, these would be abundance-based goals. And restriction would be any confined animal farmed product, which is going to have xenoestrogens, and other, of course, toxins and um, compounds that would not be h- helpful for our body in in a healing mode. Awesome! And I just actually made—we must have been on the same
2: organ wavelength <laughs> this weekend. I just made our—it's um, the caramelized onion liver and bacon. We have it as a, a mini meatloaf muffin. Um, yes, like, I made yes. it as a full meatloaf just because I was being lazy and didn't want to have to wash the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the patties, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's an awesome recipe that I'll link to in the show notes. It wouldn't be obviously fully keto carnivore, but it could be adapted certainly um, to fit yeah. certain protocols.
1: And it's so good. Well, definitely. And, and, you know, when we're consuming organs, we're going to get more of B12 and uh, biotin and CoQ10. So we're talking about the nutrient depletion trends um, that would definitely address the neurological benefits for sure.
2: And then beyond keto carnivore, when what would you recommend as like a trial period of that? And then how would you recommend advancing and and reintroducing foods?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, anywhere from 10 days and and if I'm doing it with a client in clinic, I might pair that 10-day keto carnivore with a 3 to 5-day bone broth cleanse. Mm-hmm. And um, so that would be a really great way, again, kind of resetting their GI tract and really just being aggressive in our repair mode. Uh, I also am going to have them double down on my GI lining powder, which is going to have L-glutamine in there at um, about 30, not about, at 3,500 milligrams. So you're getting 3.5 grams of L-glutamine paired with DGL, diglycerized licorice root, and that's paired with aloe. So you're getting that oopy-goopy anti-inflammatory boost within this restriction of moving out the plant-based irritants. And it could be upwards of four to six weeks. um, But I definitely recommend beyond, again, this diet restriction and focus on the animal compounds, I definitely recommend doing a probiotic challenge and potentially going forward with a six-week gut cleanse during this process. And the first food that I recommend bringing in is leafy greens. So, you know, greens are going to be one of the least irritating as far as they are lectin-free. And then they are not highly fermentable. So they're also friendly in like a FODMAP diet. Getting a variety of greens like your mescaline, your kohlrabi, your red lettuce, your endive, your butter lettuce. uh, Also herbs within this world like parsley and fennel and sea vegetables are all really mineral rich and gonna give us a good nutritional punch with least gut influence, especially when we're pairing these with acids and fats. Um, I do keep avocado oil and olive oil in the whole time as well um, as supporters, in addition to like tallow and lard and things like that. So we'd bring in greens somewhere starting around like week three if we're doing like a six week challenge to see how those are tolerated. Then from there, for someone that wants to stay keto-tight, we would go to cruciferous vegetables, which are lectin-free but have FODMAPs. So we're talking like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Now, these foods, um, if you get bloating, distension, or GI distress, the fermentable fiber is likely what's going on, and that's someone that definitely needs to do a beat-the-bloat candida bundle um, and take those supplements as recommended to plow their gut biome. And then they could retest at week three into their cleanse how they tolerate those foods. And that's a good testament of fermentable fibers. Um, but definitely adding those in as the, the next line of defense for the sulfur-containing amino acids and phyto compounds would be a big supporter for our system. Awesome. And then what would you
2: add in after that? Maybe avocado or? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so avocado also would be in that that world of being a FODMAP, right? Um, so it is higher fermentable. So you could, if you don't tolerate the cruciferous, you might try avocado next before you fully write off um, and say you have SIBO. So you might try avocado next if you have intolerance to avocado as well. Then that's likely you've got to jump into that cleanse. Um, otherwise, it could be the fact that those cruciferous vegetables are high sulfur, so they can be more gaseous. You know, so you might take a double enzyme with those foods, especially as your system had gone on a lower amount of fibers, you're going to need to teach it again to create more of those hemicellulases and cellulases and those uh, enzymes that break down the um, dense fibers of vegetables and plant-based compounds. So definitely enzymes are a big part of this reintroduction. Avocado may be tolerated better than the cruciferous, so you could play either or. And then, like I said, olive oil, avocado oil, I keep in the whole way through. Um, Olive oil, I just see the benefit of all of the polyphenols. It's support for vitamin K, vitamin E, uh, mineral stability, and um, just good fatty acid. I find it to be a great superfood and a balance to get fat distribution beyond the saturated fats that you're getting in the fattier cuts of meats and um, in your lard and such. Um, And then coconut oil as well. And again, if you're getting intolerance, you might do one of these foods a week and really assess. And if you're really in the mucky mud, that's where you need to just run right away into that MRT test and get the data. Because I've seen all too often people with GI distress Deal with intolerance to beef or to coconut oil or to avocado. And this is where they could be really running their head up against a wall. Yeah. So let's talk about that
2: as a kind of pro and con of doing this elimination diet. And um, what about supplemental support? You mentioned the GI lining for
1: leaky gut. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, this idea of keto carnivore or AIP keto is really structural in its nature. So we're looking at removing the anti-nutrients. There still are inflammatory mechanisms based on our immunological system. And for those of you that definitely have autoimmune disease or aren't getting outcomes and you're three to five weeks into AIP keto or keto carnivore, that's where then I would say you got to do the MRT test this is actually going to look at the inflammatory drivers based on food and chemical compound and help us to strategize even with your already restriction of maybe five foods, what works best for your system and also alleviate, I think, some of the anxiety, which is helpful as far as what things we'd want to drive with as reintroducing. Because I've also seen people highly reactive to maybe head lettuce or spinach and then they might right away, when they start to bring in their first vegetable, if they're doing mixed greens and they see intolerance, they might think, oh my gosh, my gut isn't healed. I need to do another cleanse. And that whole while they're maybe over sterilizing sure. their biome. So, you know, it's, it's really good to have that individualized approach if you can um, afford the panel and you can purchase that on our website um, at AllieMillerRD.com. Under my clinic tab, there's advanced labs, and you can get the MRT test as either package A with a quick 15-minute a quick review or becoming a patient with a 75-minute review. So definitely food for thought if you've been doing these changes and you're still not getting outcomes. And um, the biggest support I'd say on a supplemental level, we have a inflammatory gut bundle that we use for all clients with ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, um, and and inflammatory bowel disease, or severe leaky gut. And it incorporates our targeted strength probiotic, which is the heavy hitter, the 60 billion colony forming units per day. Um, And that is taken one at bed. It incorporates our GI lining support powder, that that powder that we take to really coat and soothe and protect the gut lining, and our super turmeric which has a lot of beneficial research that we see on anti-inflammatory support for the small and large intestine. And the turmeric itself is antimicrobial and um, has some antifungal properties. So can also help to keep the biome bacteria in balance. Awesome, and on that note, you can kind of
2: both proactively with the GI lining, coat the gut lining and start to heal some of the damage done while you're also working to abide by a protocol, be it MRT or keto carnivore or another form of an elimination diet. Um, And I know you often say it's an insurance policy, but it's not a permission slip. Um, So it's also the GI lining is a tool that we could use, you know, when we're eating out of our own direct control, whether we're at a family member's house or out to dinner, we might double down on that or if there's been kind of a higher intake of alcohol, which can you know wreak havoc on the gut, as well as sugar.
1: Absolutely. And so anything that's a gut irritant, maybe someone uh, is on a prescription NSAID after a surgery, like they've had a knee replacement or something, right? And so they're on a painkiller. Um, and we know the impact of NSAID, like prescription ibuprofen or naproxen sodium or whatever that is. Anyone that's on a gut-damaging drug, um, I guess we could consider birth control and that, but that's more of a constant versus something that's pulsed. Um, but a gut irritant, like an NSAID, higher alcohol intake or a diet time that's off, that's a great time to double down on the GI lining powder. And it's something that I take with me every time I do any public speaking. I actually take a scoop every night. I haven't stopped since I had Stella um, because I had such distress with my emergency C-section that I just still feel the 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 big benefits from using that GI lining powder but I will double down or dose a little bit higher two scoops if I'm doing public speaking or a weekend where I'm really on let's say because I know the research with my writing of the anti-anxiety diet that emotional and mental stress especially in the form of like presentation and public speaking literally can drill holes in your gut. So you can see a depletion of secretory IgA, which makes the immune system more on guard and more hyperreactive. And my goal, of course, is to really protect and coat and soothe so that I have the resilience and the ability to do a lot of outreach and share the message without really impacting my body unfavorably. And, you know, also with speaking and lecturing and all that comes often a lot of like, you know, VIP social hours or happy hours or um, celebratory dinners and things like that. So I think, you know, being one up on the alcohol intake helps as well too. Setting yourself up to be resilient
2: for sure. Um, Yes. So on the topic of stress, we know that stress in and of itself can actually interfere with a successful keto diet and outcomes. And in our program, we actually use a stress assessment that looks at whether clients are in that kind of overdrive of the HPA axis, or if they're in more of that underdrive adrenal fatigue mode, let's just talk about the two of these and and how these can both lead to stubborn body fat shift or um, even hormonal imbalance.
1: Yes, absolutely. So you know we call it again the HPA axis, our hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenals, and this is that feedback mechanism that for some individuals, and we do this quiz in our program. So you're able to go through, I think it's over 60 different questions, and it's things like, you know, does your body temperature change under stress? Do you get hot and moist, cold and clammy? Um, Talks about quality of sleep. It talks about rumination or anticipatory thought patterns. It talks about arrhythmia, palpitations, shortness of breath. I mean, it's across the board. And so it will give us an output of whether if we're in overdrive or stressed and wired mode, we're going to be having, generally speaking, a high output of cortisol and epinephrine or adrenaline, if you will. And we can have suppressed expression of our regulatory function in the body, which means that we might have suppressed thyroid function, which would slow down our metabolism. We might have suppressed sexual hormone function, which could throw off our cycle. And we know that cortisol levels themselves, when in an excess mode, break down protein for sugar. So we actually can start to see uh, catabolism or breakdown of our lean body mass, which will lower our metabolic rate and also will increase our blood sugar levels, which can truly itself kick us out of ketosis. So if we're in that reactive, chronic stress, high cortisol output, that will have an impact on our blood sugar levels. It will have an impact on muscle wasting, a drop in our metabolism, and it also is going to increase our visceral fat, which is the fat that is most dangerous, closest to our organs, the type of fat that actually increases insulin resistance and raises inflammatory signals. You could stop right there. That's like
2: that's huge, right? I mean, <laughs>
1: stress beats your muscles, yeah, guys. And- that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, great. Yeah. It, it, and it drills holes in your gut. Remember that part, <laughs> you know, and then there's the impact on appetite and cravings, which is totally non-debatable. Um, so when we're under chronic stress, even regardless of cortisol I would say this one rings true so even for people that are in the stressed and tired not the stressed and wired mode they're still going to get an impact on appetite and cravings and um, that often leads us going for unsustainable solutions and this is where we might do too much of the non-caloric sweeteners or fall off the wagon um, and then that can lead obviously to interfering with our keto outcomes um, but the biggest thing that we see with stress is that independent so there's the cortisol mechanisms, but independent, there's a process called gluconeogenesis where our liver um, in an overdrive HPA axis mode or overstimulation is going to dump sugar into the bloodstream. And that in its sense can interfere with our keto. And then stress over long-term can also suppress our thyroid, our overall adrenals, and our sexual hormones. And lead to a
2: ton of... Other conditions as well,
1: um, certainly, and, and yes,
2: um, just kind of curb our keto progress for sure is something we see all the time,
1: yeah. And you know, I just think it's not talked about enough. And the dance that I think is really important, so you know, when we're talking about HPA axis imbalance, it can be on both ends of the, again, stressed and wired, and stressed and tired, so nervous anxiety can be seen in actually both. Like if you think of stressed and tired, if you're like driving a car, uh, country on a road trip and you're so tired, but you can't fall asleep, <laughs> we can actually see even insomnia and that nervous energy in adrenal fatigue mode. Um, so it is really helpful to have some clinical tool to guide whether you're in an over or an under output, because some of the symptoms can overlap But we can see things beyond mood stability to things like cognitive function, memory, brain fog. Uh, We can see impact on our digestion, as I mentioned, that cortisol, if it's too low, will drive us towards more leaky gut function. And um, then on an inflammatory level, of course, as well, because cortisol has some natural antihistamine and anti-inflammatory effects. So Definitely something that I find to be a Achilles heel, hence drawing and writing the anti-anxiety diet, but we really incorporate this in our 12-week virtual food as medicine keto class because I find that often it's that type A client that is so tight on their macros, they're tracking everything, they're literally doing everything to perfection, and that's what's keeping them in this HPA axis imbalance, and their over-obsession is interfering with their progress and outcomes. And that's a hard conversation
2: that we have with clients every single day. I know I do for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And (laughs) so, you know, some of the ways that we work foundationally with this um, as far as supplement intervention. So there's lifestyle change. Like I often say, if you're someone with adrenal fatigue, I am going to want to first likely give you some adrenal support. So we're talking about glandular compound that is going to both work on getting your cortisol levels back to a base, uh, as well as supporting your DHEA levels. Because DHEA, remember, can be a limiting agent of why you may not be able to produce ketones. So um, DHEA is also made by the adrenals. We had an awesome uh, conversation with Dr. Uh, – not Dr. I always call him Dr. – with Steven Chernisky on dhea the fountain of youth um in the early 90s right was that a yeah, couple episodes i'll link to back? it in the show notes i don't
2: remember exactly okay. what episode but he's got some pretty mind-blowing research and has been talking about this stuff for years and years and years probably longer than we've been around <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, when I'm trying to support you listeners with access to supplement formulas that work, what I've done is I've created two bundles for this HPA access world or this adrenal output of excess or de- depletion. So there's a bundle called Adrenal Rehab, which is For those of us that are more of the stressed and tired, and that includes that glandular compound adrenal support, which is going to help with cortisol regulation and DHEA. It also has adaptogen boost, which is going to have a blend of our rhodiola, our cordyceps, and Panax ginseng, which is very tonifying for our thyroid. It helps us with stress resilience, and um, it helps us to rebound from stress-induced fatigue so that we're not wringing out the the minuscule amount of juice in those adrenal glands. So we're both rebounding the adrenals with the support and then using the adaptogen to help us to uh, be more resilient to stress demand. And then the calm and clear formula, which is uh, Becky and my (laughs) best friend, It's really a pendulum swing. Yeah, that's one of the great foundational tools that has adaptogens and nervines. So herbs that work to help with adapting to stress as well as calming us down. And then providing us with L theanine, which helps with our alpha brain waves, which is seen during concentration, focus, meditation, our brain levels when we're in deep REM cycle of sleep. And also, that formula has a B complex in there. So, there is a bundle called adrenal rehab, and there's a bundle called stress manager. Both of them have the adaptogen boost and calm and clear. The variance is that for the stressed and tired, we're giving you that adrenal support. For the stressed and wired, we're giving you the GABA calm chew in there. And that's a really inhibitory compound for more of those acute times of need of high stress demand.
2: And we always get the question, what if I'm both? What if I'm stressed and tired some of the time? And what if I'm stressed and wired? So we always look for kind of what folks resonate with the most or the they get the highest scoring on our assessment. And then you may pulse in the GABA as a tool, which I think you and I both tend to do that with more public speaking events. Um, I know you use it a lot with Stella's yoga classes and things like that, just to get into like mommy mode and... Um,
1: yeah, 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 feeling a little bit less uh, hyper-vigilant or yep. intense on the way I perceive things. And I had someone just me- message yesterday, oh my gosh, your calm came in. I took two chews and I had the best experience at Target ever. <laughs> I was like, that really resonates with me because I get it. And she's like, I have three boys and I enjoyed my first trip to Target ever oh with them. <laughs> I was like, thank you. And so it is, it's, it's one. And I've, I've talked to him um, when I was on Vanessa's episode, I've gotten a couple questions on that. So I'll just kind of break it down a little further. Um, Yes, you know, for those of us that are in a state of high anxiety, we may be needing GABA Calm on a daily basis for about like a three-month reset, especially as we focus on rebalancing our gut microbiome, because again, your gut bacteria makes GABA and serotonin. So you might add in a good quality probiotic supplement or ensure you're at least getting one probiotic-rich food per day as you're using that GABA for three months with the Calm and Clear and Adaptogen Boost. And um, if you're in a state of adrenal fatigue, you would also need that adrenal support tablet. But after about three months of consistent use of GABACOM, you should be able to use that as a pulse as needed. Um, you might reduce from four a day to two a day, but really it should be used like in transitional times, um, maybe one that's not needed over the weekend, whereas other foundational formulas like the adaptogens, the adrenal support and the Calm and Clear would be used daily. Sure. And I think, you know, if
2: you're getting to that three month mark and not seeing a shift where you can bring that down, maybe then that's time to dig deeper and do some testing like our neurohormone complete plus panel to see where GABA is actually falling. Cause we've seen, you know, excessive GABA also driving the same exact trends and same anxiety as low GABA. So it's something to definitely watch.
1: For sure. I think that's a good point to make. Absolutely.
2: Okay. And then let's talk a little bit about belly fat and stress. So belly fat can be driven from stress alone in that it's greatly related to cortisol and how we're storing our our belly fat. Um, How do we metabolize or reduce that excessive cortisol without suppressing the adrenal glands? What's the dance there?
1: Yeah, it it is a tango for sure. And, um, you know, one of the things we can see when we're going into tight keto is we can get higher expression of metabolized cortisol that was once stored in our body fat, just like we can get an expression of estrogen in the body that was metabolized in those adipocytes. So our fat cells are like hormone storage tanks, right? And so when we burn fat as fuel, we often do get upregulation of their metabolic byproducts, which can lead to cortisol dominance or estrogen dominance. So first line of defense there is uh, when we're looking at targeting belly fat and if we're not getting outcomes, focusing on detox and vitamin C. So um, and then maybe if we know it's more estrogen-related, i3 c's as well so you know we would really consider for vitamin c our adrenal glands are actually the highest storage place for vitamin c in the body those tiny little glands and vitamin c helps in the metabolism of cortisol as well as the production so this is great for those of us that are um, having that metabolic product of storage or increased demand and needing it and so i really like to incorporate citrus in a pretty high amount Um, talking about like two tablespoons of lemon or lime juice daily, and then also incorporating the zest. Um, And, you know, especially if you're doing a keto diet, you might still be able to tolerate half of a grapefruit a day, and that would be appropriate, and still pretty low glycemic if not eaten alone. You know, if done within after your eggs or something like that, that would likely still work fine for most people depending on their insulin sensitivity. And um, zest, though, like orange zest um, is fabulous. And, um, this is a really great way to get a high amount of those bioflavonoids and vitamin C. And then you may even consider like a two to three gram vitamin C dosage as a supplement tool to get you above that belly fat slump and start to see some metabolic change.
2: Awesome. And then I think detox kind
1: of deserves its
2: Well, we did a podcast episode actually on, um, the importance of detox and keto. So I'll make sure we link to that, but detox is, um, definitely really important with, keto, especially if we've seen that 10% weight loss or more, or we're hitting a stall, um, or even if we're dealing with, you know, symptoms of estrogen dominance or other toxins and endocrine disruptors that have been activated through that state of going keto.
1: Yes. So now kind of transitioning into hormones and detox. So yeah, detox can be helpful for those metabolic byproducts of cortisol, as well as estrogen and endocrine disrupting compounds that are released in your body's transition to keto. So for someone that has a lot of body fat loss, they're going to be activating and creating higher circulation of those compounds. Or though I will say even for um, women, especially when we're talking about like breakthrough bleeding, um, shifts in their uh, menstrual cycles, this can happen um, often when we are going into a tighter keto approach. I've had women that have been menopausal and we're working to heal their adrenals, and um, they're going into deeper keto because now they're actually making ketones in their blood because their DHEA has rebounded. And all of a sudden, they, like, haven't cycled in a year and a half, and they have a, a cycle. Um, and so this happens often. And these could be women that have, like, maybe 5 to 10 pounds of weight loss, you know, to go still. So it's like that, like, just little minuscule shift. Um, and, and this will happen, though, because when the body produces – higher amounts of ketones, um, and especially if we're eating a higher fat keto-based diet, we're going to increase estrogenic expression. Um, And so this can um, have an impact of either high estrogen levels or low estrogen levels, um, because it really depends on going down deeper the rabbit hole into things like genetics. Um, Like if this person is a COMT, Uh, This is a genetic variant beyond MTHFR, okay? And COMT plays a role with how we metabolize estrogen. So for someone that is COMT um, and they're doing this change, they're going to get a buildup of estrogen in their body, right? For someone that is a fast COMT or has no SNP, they're going to be metabolizing that estrogen out of their body at a rapid level, and so they may then see a shorter cycle and breakthrough bleeding, like a female that's bleeding at 22 days versus 28 days. So that genetic metabolic factor is going to play a role of if you ex- if you express excess or deficient estrogen, as well as kind of your starting point of of where you were at hormonally pre keto. Um, but the the big thing to really make sense of is. There are hormone-regulating influences in your body fat. I highly recommend a baseline defense of doing the 10-day Reset, Restore, Renew detox as a great way to kind of ensure we're encapsulating and removing any of those chemical endocrine-disrupting compounds. And then using symptoms and feedback with your cycle of whether you need to support the estrogen drops or support the estrogen detox from the excess.
2: And is that where um, carb cycling might come into play?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I mean, the first. So if you're dropping low estrogen, like let's say you're a perimenopausal woman and um, you're getting really bad hot flashes all of a sudden, and um, vaginal dryness, and you're not dealing with breast tenderness. Breast tenderness we think of as estrogen dominance, right? So the the lows of estrogen would be big. Um, flashing, um, potential mood impacts and sleep impacts, that individual might do well after they've done the the detox packs for at least 10 days. Um, They may do well with actually using some phytoestrogen compounds like flaxseed, right? So they might need those lignans, um, which are going to support those drops of their E2 because They released their estradiol um, by the body fat burn. They've now detoxed it out, and now they're very low base estrogen. So we want to work to balance them out with maybe some food-based compounds. The other individual, and that individual that's low, might need some hormone reset or support. So definitely, I mean, estrogen levels, generally speaking, drop at ovulation, and progesterone starts to peak at that time. I generally tend to trend the carb cycling more with progesterone shifts in the body. Um, And so, you know, this progesterone is supposed to peak about four to five days post ovulation. And and that's when I usually bring in the leptin carb cycling timing. And personally, that's where I carb cycle around days like 19 and 20 or so, um, because that's that four to five days post ovulation and the progesterone continues ideally to peak at that time, and um, leptin plays a big role with that progesterone production. So so there is a a kind of time stamp in that post-ovulatory carb cycling around day 21 or so in a 28-day cycling woman to keep the cycle a full length of 28 days, which is optimal. Um, But if someone's low estrogen, um, they may also consider incorporating some of those phytoestrogens to help to support as well. And if they're high estrogen, dealing with breast tenderness and um, dealing with um, belly fat that's stubborn, they might bring in something like DIM, methionine and eat higher amounts of cruciferous vegetables. So like cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli sprouts, these are all going to help to continue to support that detox and taking the ultimate detox for a couple months will help to support that process as well to carry out the excess estrogen. Awesome. So kind of hitting both
2: ends of the spectrum there, so estrogen dominance would be seen with the body fat metabolism and, and that in itself can cause breakthrough bleeding or early cycles and the stubborn belly fat. And then on the other hand, there's the folks who would need to clear estrogen more efficiently
1: and need the support. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, yeah, the progesterone piece of the puzzle, I generally, again, tie that to leptin. And so if you are someone that maybe you, you are ovulating, um, but you're having an earlier cycle, it might be because your progesterone didn't peak at days 20, 21. And so that's where you might try next cycle, carb cycling around that time. Um, in the evening is best. And um, that's where we see leptin levels increase in research in the evening. And, um, you know, going somewhere between two to three carb choices at about uh, day 21 and 22 or 19 and 20, somewhere within that sweet spot for you. And then you may also consider carb cycling during ovulation or the first couple days of your cycle as another reset point. Yes. And Doing the carb cycling, and making it strategic around your
2: cycle can also help with the, the just stress of our hormone shifts. So there's that, um, you know, more stress or more demand on the body during those times of, you know, high hormone turnover and, and things like that.
1: And that goes into, you know, when we're talking about like FSH and LH, so our our follicular stimulating hormone and our our luteinizing hormones and the role of them in fertility and cycle regulation. And we know that often under high chronic stress, those ratios get thrown off. Um, And so another kind of food for thought thing to consider And um, we do see that this, again, spontaneous menstrual cycles or breakthrough um, driven by excess FSH, um, as well as, again, imbalanced relationships with estrogen or progesterone and leptin. So giving that leptin in those times um, can be very supportive. Awesome. And then what about other tools for
2: stress support if the stress itself is maybe driving the hormonal shifts, um, maybe CBD throwing that into the mix.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a great thing to consider for sure. And, um, so bringing that, ensuring that you're getting ample sleep and that's where CBD and or relax and regulate can be great tools. Um, and so getting at least seven hours of sleep in the evening, really important for hormone health and balance, uh, considering reducing your caffeine intake. Huge component there. Um, So I know you mamas might be tired, but get going with your adaptogen boost and adrenal support to help your body foundationally, because if you're just doing caffeine, that's going to overdrive your epinephrine, which is going to make you anxious, worried, and fatigued. Um, So that's where if I do caffeine, which I, I do about a cup a day, I like to add CBD oil to that. And so that allows me that immune and inflammatory modulating benefit also preventing that kind of crash and burn impact of caffeine on its own. And then I, of course, always add fat um, to my coffees as well.
2: Yeah. I'll link to your lavender cold brew CBD latte because it's super yummy. I do mine with peppermint personally. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) they both work for sure. Sure do. So, you know, even beyond that cortisol, when we're talking about Hormone hormones, stress is always going to find its way back in, which is just another reason that everyone needs to get a copy of the anti-anxiety diet on their hands. Yes. <laughs> Duh, for sure. All right. So our, our last hack here, let's talk about mastering macros. We left it for last, I think, because we don't want to drive that macro-based obsession. And as you guys can see, it's often not right. the first place we look when something is going wrong in keto or or not working right. Um, so we talked about this number obsession in episode 47, but let's hone in a little bit on fat.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a great one. And and if we're again we're not chasing ketones, we're chasing results, we're not chasing macros or a report card, we're chasing sustainability and real food first. And then how our body metabolizes it. So, actually, I've gotten a lot of uh, hits on um, social media from people asking about an article Maria Emmerich just put out, and it's um, "Why Keto Can Be Dangerous" is the title of it. And obviously, I mean, she's like a keto queen, so it's a you know a leading buzzworthy title. But it talks about uh, demonization of fat fasts um, and uh, you know really chasing percentages of fats as minimums. And it talks about this guy who um, ate 90% fat for one week um, to see the effects it had on his body. And he had lost 70 pounds in a three-year window of doing you know, more of a balanced keto approach. But when he did 90% fat, and I, I do want to say his 90% fat had um, a very high amount of grams of fat. Um, And I'll tell you in a moment what that is. I have to look it up, Um, but I'll let Becky tap dance for a second and look it up. But um, his triglycerides doing 90% fat went from 118 to 1201. Um, And that was just in a one week. Now, again, we've talked to you guys about how lipids will make dynamic shifts when you make dynamic diet change, so testing in one week, I would assume, um, and you know, we would have to look clinically, but I would assume that those values from twelve hundred one would come back down. Uh, maybe not, you know, so maybe it'd be an elevation from one eighteen to three fifty. I think that's an extreme shift that happened in his liver with that metabolic change um, because he didn't have an unfavorable change with A one C or C reactive protein. But when he did go back to a, quote, unquote, balanced keto diet, his triglycerides were turned down to 85. So it was really to show that high stress can stress the liver. And again, high anything can stress the body. And so the argument was against doing a fat fast. Um, And, you know, I do know from people and working with people that have been keto, when I started my virtual program. And when I was doing my ketogenic program for the last five years in the naturally nourished clinic, we were working with a lot of people that this was a new thing. Maybe they had done Atkins or some other form of low carb, but keto was new. So it was like mind blowing for them to add fat to their diet at the levels we were recommending. Now that keto is getting more widespread and I'm getting some of you listeners from other keto communities um, that have been doing this type of diet, I my mind is blown of the misinformation out there that you can eat as much fat as you want. As long as you're making ketones, you should be losing weight because that's not the case. Nope. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Do you get that? Have you heard that from people or? Oh, yeah. 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 I thought
2: that, you know, macros didn't, or I thought that calories didn't matter if I'm eating the right macros. And it's like, no, fat is still incredibly nutritionally dense. And going back to that like deep freezer of your own body fat concept, you're not going to reach into that deep freezer if you're eating a cup of coconut oil every day.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Um, And I mean, I've had people um, that are doing an entire pack of bacon a day um, and Eight to twelve eggs a day, and you know, just just excess eating in excess is distressing to the body. I think that that needs to be very clear. Um, so we're not looking to eat in excess in any way, shape, or form. Now, with that being said, again, I like to do often a fat fast when I'm teaching people how to fast. Um, And this is most people that are going, that aren't fat adapted, that are going into as a new approach, the idea of converting their body from glucose as the primary fuel to ketones. Okay. And so when this is a new approach, having the fat in the morning helps to create satiety. It helps to get us through that time period. And when I'm doing a fat fast, I am talking about a tablespoon total of fat added to your drink. I've also seen people do keto coffee with three to five tablespoons, Becky, of oh, yeah. fat. I've,
2: I've had clients so, come in doing that and they're asking why they're not losing weight and they're adding that on like, top of all of these other things. Right.
1: And I would never argue, I, I always would say that a liquid form of calories is never going to be as satiating as eating fat. Food, right? So that's a huge part right there. I don't want anyone doing a fatty coffee that is over 200 calories. That should always be the threshold. And the idea is to replace a higher calorie meal with a lower calorie replacement that holds over the appetite. And once you are fat adapted, depending on your goals and needs, you may transition that to a water fast. Um, and, you know, that may work even more favorably, especially for the benefits of like autophagy. Um, but I would argue that I still am a fan of fat fasts um, as long as it's done strategic and we are still calorie controlled. Again, calories aren't something we drive with, but we do want to look at um, at the end of the day we do have to be hypocaloric if we want to lose body weight and body fat. Sure.
2: And even doing something like a three day bone broth fast with fat that we've talked about, we'd be looking at spacing out like three tablespoons of fat or up to five, depending on what your macros need to look like um, during that fast. Not doing it all in that one single delivery that might just drive GI distress.
1: Yeah. And, and there isn't, I was just, I'm pulling up this know, article was, this whole time. I was I'm and
2: scrolling. trying
1: to I find, find the amount of grams of fat, but it's not listed, but I think it was over 300. Um, and so, you know, that's a huge thing to consider. And, and I totally am on board with Maria and her mindset that your dietary fat needs to be lower then your, um, you know, we're looking at lipolysis as far as, um, the idea of breaking body fat cells as fuel source. And, you know, so we want to have dietary fat lower so the body goes into your body fat as fuel. And I generally, anytime I see when someone, especially a woman over 120 grams of fat, I'm always saying, oh, we got to lower your fat. Um. And um, so you know, her scale in here is like a 140. If you're doing more than 140 grams of dietary fat, you're driving fat storage. If you're doing 80 grams of dietary fat, you're driving fat burn. Obviously, those numbers are all gonna change based on the individual, but I do agree strongly that um, you know, we need to be overall in a calorie depletion while maintaining these macros. And I first focus on carb restriction at being less than 30 grams to kick off someone who's new to this game, then in meeting your protein needs, and then in getting the residual calories from fat. And if that ratio puts your calories from fat under 65%, we might be a little bit strategic about shifting your protein down short term or pulsing it. But generally speaking, that keeps us at a good, you know, 70% ratio. Sure. And, and so high fat doesn't
2: necessarily mean unlimited fat. I think that's the big takeaway here. And then it all really comes back to, you know, eating with intention. Why are we doing this in the first place? What purpose does this three tablespoons of fat in my coffee actually serve?
1: Right. Oh, I totally agree. And, and often also that's why I'm a, bigger fan of whole foods or as close as we can get to it, um, which is why I like to add coconut oil and grass-fed butter versus, you know, a liquid squirtable MCT oil and things like that um, to really teach the body some of that satiety and get the whole benefit of vitamin A and vitamin E, um, the conjugated linoleic acids in the grass-fed butter, and many things that we maybe nutritionally don't even know that, again, we find in these whole foods versus these like souped up uh, you know, um, bulletproof coffee products and such that, that may not be that silver bullet that we're looking for. Awesome.
2: So as we're approaching one day or probably less than 24 hours by the time this episode airs, depending on you know, what time we put it out, I guess it'll be about 24 hours that you guys have left uh, <laughs> yeah. to um, get into the program for its launch date of September 4th. But with one day prior, I want to just give a final couple of moments here on why listeners should consider um, some other turnkey solutions we use in our, our program. So why they should consider our program and then just a couple other um, solutions that we've seen to have great outcomes
1: yeah, so a big thing that I think is always important, like I said, no silver no silver bullets. So if you're looking at products like Onit or keto S or some of these things that are really boosting their before and after pictures and it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and that's kind of really how I feel about exogenous ketones. I really feel that giving your body the tools, one of our biggest supplements that we see awesome outcomes from in the keto program is our boost and burn liquid, which has L-carnitine, which teaches the body to burn fat as fuel, um, driving the metabolic process of ketone production versus dealing with that end product. So um, that would be one of the biggest things that I'd say is what we work with our clients to do is to understand the whys, not just the what. Take this because it's good for you. No, what does this do? For what period of time will I be expecting to use this product? What role does it have in my body? What are the other metabolic influencers? So we'll also talk about how L-carnitine helps with cardiovascular function and arrhythmia and has been shown in the Journal of Cardiology to, when carnitine becomes depleted, be a driving influence of heart disease. So, you know, we're going to educate you on science and application and information that you can take beyond a direct recommendation of just the what it's gonna be all about the why. And I think that that is the most important because as you evolve and change, you need to know how your what should redefine with your needs and your body's feedback. And when you're understanding the mechanisms, this is where you can really titrate and adjust for sustainable solutions. And I think that can be used in the concept of a supplement, that can be used in the concept of a, you know, 3-day fasting, 4-days indulgence or a protocol of how we're looking at our diet approach because we have to understand that fluidity and breath within things. Sure, and and even within
2: macros and things like that, there's always that adjustment up and down as we lose weight and change, you know, season to season and things like that. Awesome. So I think another, um, turnkey solution might be doing protein shakes as a reset or not necessarily protein, protein shakes, but, um, fat and protein shakes, I guess, um, you often say obsession to go to high fat and keto is muscle sparing. We start to lose, um, those metabolic benefits when we get into protein malnourishment. So if we're going too low of protein, that can be an issue.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point to make. And, you know, um, often, again, people are coming to us eating a lot of fat. They've been fear mongered into protein restriction because of transamination. And yes, there are influences. In fact, I think in my keto pitfalls episode, I talk about too much protein as an issue. Um, And it can be an issue. But many people that have been doing keto especially if they're dealing with hair loss, especially if they're dealing with muscle aches and fatigue, they may not be meeting enough of their protein needs. And so something that is a big shift in our program is we do talk about keto friendly whole food protein shakes. Um, And we can link maybe that uh, mint and cucumber one in the show notes. And so this is a great way to get all of your bioavailable amino acids And although we would use like full fat coconut milk, we're going to dilute that with a little bit of water um, so that your protein shake is still within like 300 to 400 calories. So it still can be a low calorie meal replacement based on whole food ingredients, which can work like a very black and white way to get clinical results. Um, Because when you're dealing with a lot of muck And you may have been over um, indulging and you're not getting outcomes, having that structure and accountability and kind of dumbing it down for a period of time can be a great launch pad for the changes that you're looking to make. So again, we want to be mindful on the therapeutics and the macro distribution, but we cannot overlook calorie density in this type of a program either. We still have to be mindful that we need that catabolism and that uh, breakdown with the hypocaloric approach, yes, so it's not about getting the good report card or the stamp of approval on your macros of your macro pie, yeah, yeah or pie chart. Oh, <laughs> no,
2: no. <laughs> All right, and then I think another surprising one is um, seeing fatty acid deficiency and yeah, when we're in keto, why would that be happening? <laughs>
1: So I see this all the time. Um, When I run a micronutrient test, which looks at 35 vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, many of my keto people have a functional deficient oleic acid. Yes, it could be that they're in a mode of active weight loss and that their body is burning fat as fuel, Um, but they're taking in, generally speaking, a good amount of fat. Um, And so one thought process is, like we talked earlier, enzymes, you know, maybe they need that digestate. And so they need the ox bile and the lipase to absorb the fats in their diet. So that's totally something to consider. But something else to consider is that, you know, our cell membranes are these bilipid membranes. And if we're coming from a lifespan or at least the last decade or whatnot of eating crappy industrialized fats, then that means that our cell membranes are built from garbage fats. So they have a lot of these polyunsaturated compounds that are probably oxidized and suboptimal. Um, They could also be carried in there with toxic compounds. And so working with a good quality omega-3 like EPA, DHA extra, um, you always want to look for in your omega-3 at least 800 milligrams of EPA. So ours provides that in two capsules, so that would be a first starting point for essential fatty acid deficiency, um, which one of the symptoms we see with fatty acid deficiency is body temperature dysregulation, memory issues, brain fog, Um, we can definitely see neurological impact as well, Um, so cognitive as well as actual nerve impulse and such. And then, you know, you may consider beyond an omega-3 supplement actually working on the inflammation to help to reset further with like our super turmeric or our inflammasyme. Um, the difference there, the super turmeric is going to have turmeric in its bioavailable form with um, turmeric oil, which helps to deliver it more into those membranes for use. And then the inflamazyme also has proteolytic enzymes, which basically works for tissue inflammation. So for someone with like uterine fibroids or um, hormone imbalance, um, or infertility, they'd go Inflamazyme first. Or someone that's an athlete that has a lot of tissue damage and breakdown, they'd go for inflammazyme first um, with that omega-3 over over the super turmeric.
2: Awesome. And yeah, sometimes the best way to mellow out inflammation is to really honor that rest and digest mode or just not overstimulate with food. So beyond the consideration that we talked about before of keto carnivore and gut reset, we also are using a 16-8 model for clients, generally speaking, um, in terms of fasting to support that autophagy or that cellular reset. So changing out some of those junky parts as we're doing this kind of like oil change from the industrialized oils to, you know, the, the healthier fats that we're promoting in this program, you can also bring the fasting in to, to accelerate that.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's a great point. And again, Whether it's a modified fat fast or a bone broth fast or a water fast, we're going to give you guidance in the program of what works for you, how to listen to the feedback and recalibrate, and then what tools you may need to take that to the next level. So do you want to use Ultimate Detox as a tool? Are you someone that needs to work with anti-inflammatory support as a tool? Um, And and what are your hindering barriers and how can we help you to navigate those waters? Awesome. So our program really does provide a ton
2: of resources beyond all the things and the, the hacks that we gave you guys from today. And what I love is that every time we do this class, there's just more layers of the onion that we're kind of unfolding, um, more connections yes. that folks who are repeating the program. We have a ton of people who did our first program and are still signed up through this one because the information changes, they get something new every time, and we really get into that individualized approach for that aha moment and connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just share before we go a couple more um, or a couple of testimonials from folks who've done our virtual keto program.
1: Okay. So I have one from Terry. She says, I was finally successful in losing weight. The older I get, age 56, the harder it is. And I have gradually gained weight since pre and post menopause. Keto is an easy way to live. And this program worked for me after many failed attempts. I can see doing keto now as a way of life and really appreciated both Allie and Becky's support. And um, Terry is at age 56, feeling awesome and down there 13 stubborn pounds, 10. She was looking to really get off and a three bonus. Oh, that's awesome. I love it.
2: And then let me read this one from Shannon. So Shannon says, I learned so much about the ketosis process and I am applying. The knowledge that I'm applying to everyday life for myself and my family, I have been able to maintain a nice lean body and steady energy level. The intestinal discomfort, bloating, and lack of energy I had before the keto class are no longer part of my life. I feel 100% better. Additionally, the way Ali explains the whys and hows of body chem- chemistry, I completely understand the keto process, which is how I'm able to continue the keto way of life because I understand the why. Allie's blog, podcasts, Instagram, and Facebook page are also a great support.
1: Awesome. And I'll do one more and then we'll let you all go. Um, The ketosis class was an excellent experience, very informative, and the recipe and snack ideas are delicious. Using the supplements has increased my energy and resolved all of my digestive issues. I definitely notice a difference in my mood and digestion when I don't take my naturally nourished supplements. And the results are crystal clear. So awesome, awesome. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I think all of this goes back to that idea again, that doctrine creates disconnect. And so our whole idea within this program, and we're so excited for you all listening to join us, is so that you can really reset how your body feels and really work with us as your guides in this program to roll out what is and is not working and where you need to recalibrate um, and allow a little bit of a pendulum swing, if you will, on all ends of the spectrum.
2: Awesome. So thank you guys so much for listening for a hundred wow <laughs> of <laughs> our food as medicine madness, if you want to call it
0: that. <laughs> I think so. It is. Is.
2: Um yeah. I'm sure you've learned something new every episode. I know I have. Um yes. so remember <laughs> that this is that we do this for you guys. And the best way to show us appreciation is to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple sentences about what you've learned or why you love the podcast. And please, please, please share us with your social networks and your friends and family.
1: Absolutely, and if you're intrigued at all, please join us in this fourth round of our virtual 12-week Food as Medicine Ketosis class, and or check out my shop tab where you can get going on your own six-week Beat the Bloat Cleanse, take that probiotic challenge, which is available on the blog if you just search the term probiotic challenge, check out those adrenal bundles. We will give you the best value of trusted formulas that work, that we use in clinic, that we know you guys can empower yourself from, from listening to the content in our podcast and really start to reap the benefits and results. So thank you so much for listening. We hope that this gives you five plus ways to resolve your keto slump and that you're able to stay resilient and keto strong and keep on ketoing on.
0: Thank you.